Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And I want you to think this morning as we begin this time of message, I want to challenge you to think back to this week and think about different conversations that you had. I mean, just different things you talked about. Maybe with your spouse or with your family or with your coworker. You know, it could have it could have been involving some kind of extracurricular activity. It could have been about a family issue. It could have been about a school or homework. It could have been about your job. It could have been about people coming to see you. You may not know this, but my mama's here this morning. Leslie's mama's here this morning. Leslie's grandmama's here this morning. We had a few conversations. All good things, all good things that we had, but maybe you had conversations like that this week, just conversations where you were just talking about different things. Hey, certainly as we have marched into this weekend, there are a lot of different people continuing to talk about football. I'm not going to talk about football every Sunday, but you know, this has been a weekend where people have talked about football. I don't know if you saw Friday night, but Cedar Creek beat Arcadia. Some of you from Arcadia? Sorry, I hate it for you. But go Cougars, you know? Some of you may not have seen this, but Rustin beat Airline. A couple of people, yeah. Where are the Bearcats? I love all the cats of our community. I told somebody the other night, that's an awesome thing. People have been talking about that. I've, I've heard a little bit about that. Louisiana Tech last night beat Western Kentucky. I'm going to text one of my friends that's alum. I'm going to text him later today. I've been giving him a little time off, you know. But I'm going to text him this morning and remind him what Tech did to his team last night. That's a great thing. Some of you, Mississippi State, no, it's too painful. We're not going there. <laughs> California, oh, never mind. We, that's even more painful to see what they did to Ole Miss. So we're just going to move on. But all kinds of conversations, we talk about a lot. We talk about all kinds of things. But as we've launched out into this sermon series on telling the story, on sharing, let me just remind you again. The best conversation we can ever have is a conversation about Jesus Christ. Because he is the best thing in our lives. He is the only one that can transform us and change us. He is the one that we need to share and we need to tell about. And perhaps today as we look at this passage, it's one of the greatest actions that Jesus can perform for an individual, for us in particular, an action of forgiveness. And we need to tell people that our God, our Christ, He forgives. You need to tell the world that is broken. You need to tell the world that is going through all kinds of chaos. You need to tell them that our God, Jesus Christ, forgives. I want you to see this in the passage where Mark himself just reminds us that the Savior that we have, He is the one who can forgive us of all our sin of all our guilt. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of that second chapter of Mark. And again, he, that is Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Stop there for a moment. Jesus has been out preaching in Galilee. He's been going all around the countryside. He's been teaching. He's been healing. 
great, wonderful things have been happening. He comes back to Capernaum. Again, Capernaum is like his headquarters. For about a year and a half of his ministry, he is there in Capernaum. He enters into a house. We don't know whose home this is. It could be Peter's home. Some people have suggested that. could be Andrew's house. Jesus just goes into a house. And all of a sudden, people in the community begin to hear that Jesus is back in town. Jesus is in the house. Jesus is here. And they want to see him. I love the way Herschel Hobbes kind of gave the translation. Herschel Hobbes, that great Southern Baptist statesman, said it was noised out. It was heard. It was noised out till all of the community. In other words, everybody began to hear that Jesus was back in town. You know, it's something when somebody comes to town, you like to, you like to try to see them. You know, if they're popular maybe or they have some kind of fame, you'd like to go and maybe just catch a glimpse of them. Maybe it's a politician or an actor, whatever else. Sometimes you like to just, if you hear they're in town, you might just kind of make a trip by just to catch a glimpse of them. I remember when I was in Zachary, when I first moved there, every so often this actor named Matthew McConaughey would come to town. Now, I don't know why he came to Zachary. People said he had a friend, and he would come to town, and he would stay with these people. And he would go out and back and forth, of course, and people would just drive around to see if they could catch a glimpse of Matthew McConaughey. Let me tell you especially, I asked Leslie, I, I, look, sometimes I go to Leslie and I say, would this be appropriate to share? Most of the time she says no. <laughs> but I cleared this with her this morning because I, I, I wanted to make sure that I was appropriate. But I, I'm telling the truth that a lot of times if you went into that neighborhood, you would see young ladies cruising down that street to catch a glimpse of Matthew McConaughey. In particular... In the community, it was told that he would come out sometime to pick up the newspaper with his shirt off. And the ladies just wanted to catch a glimpse. Most of them, I think, were my deacon's wives. But there were a lot of ladies <laughs> who wanted to just come along and just look. I told Leslie, I said, see, babe, that's the reason I should never go to the street with my shirt off. I should never do that. I could cause an incident on English turn. But sometimes, I mean, people of fame just attract attention. People wanted to see. It's the same kind of idea. Jesus is back in Capernaum. Again, his fame has gone before him. They've heard about him. He has power. He can perform miracles. He teaches with authority. He's been on his preaching tour. He's back in town. Jesus is in the house. We need to see Jesus. And people gathered. A great crowd and the scripture says in verse 2 that there was no room there. There was no way you could even crowd yourself in. It says even the entrance of the door was filled. No one could get in to hear Jesus. No one could see him. Now, I love this because Jesus is this master preacher. When he gets a crowd like this, what does he do? He preaches. He speaks to them. He's sharing with them the word of life. So here Jesus is. In this, in this house, which could have been anywhere from one to four rooms probably in New Testament day, all these people have gathered in. He's teaching them. It's a great context of God's work and power being displayed. Look at the rest of the story, verse 3. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. 
And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. So there are these four guys. They've got a friend. The scripture simply describes him as a paralytic. In other words, he could not walk. We're not told anything else about his physical condition. We just know that he could not walk. He was a paralytic. These four friends loved him. They loved him. And what they wanted to do was to get him to Jesus. They had heard the stories that Jesus could make a difference in people's lives. They knew that Jesus could heal people. That was their faith and their trust. You will see that later on. They bring this pallet with their friend on it. Each one on each side, perhaps, with ropes carrying their friend. Now, they can't get into the door, so what do they do? Well, in New Testament days, there were usually steps or a staircase on the outside of the house that would lead up to the roof. A lot of times in New Testament days, people would go upon the roof and just enjoy it. It was sometimes cooler. It was kind of out. And here they were. They found those steps. They got up to the roof and they began to, and again, the translation literally is unroof the roof. It says they uncovered, they unroofed the roof. They began to move the tiles, the thatch, the branches, the sod, all those things. They began to make a hole. And look, what a hole that had to be, right? To get the man down, this is not just some six-inch hole. I mean, this would be a great hole. It must have caused some disturbance. Could you imagine? Let's say this morning I'm sitting here, I'm preaching and teaching... And all of a sudden, somebody starts kind of coming in from the ceiling. I think I would probably lose your attention if I ever had it. I would lose your attention. I mean, everybody would have been stopping and just kind of noting what was happening, what was occurring. And then, of course, that man lowered down in the midst of the crowd before Jesus. Now, I love this picture. And I'm not going to dwell here because I don't think it's the main point, but I do love the picture of friends doing anything it takes to get this man to Jesus. We need friends like that. How wonderful is it? First of all, that they just cared about him, that they loved him. I'm going to tell you how blessed we are to have friends that care about us and love us. And you and I ought to stop and we ought to thank God for those type of friends. And we ought to thank them for being those type of friends. People that would be there for us. And look, do whatever it takes. Listen, there are people that need to do whatever it takes to get their friends to Jesus. They should overcome the obstacles, the challenges. Look, the the room was crowded. They could have easily given up and said, we've got to come back another day. But they would not stop in their effort to get their friend to Jesus. I say to you that many of us have friends, and they need Jesus desperately. 
and we should do whatever it takes even if it brings discomfort in our lives, even if it brings greater challenges, we should do whatever it takes to bring them to Jesus. I say we ought to give thanks for the friends we have, and we also ought to ask ourselves the questions, are we those type of friends to other people? Because the way I understand the Scripture as I look at the Proverbs is that if you want friends, you need to be a friend yourself, to demonstrate friendship. That's my sermonette. We'll move on now to the main dish. Because I think while that is important, the main issue has to do with forgiveness and the identity of Jesus and who he is. Look, look they let the bed down. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. So they let the paralytic down. He is there before Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Jesus looks at him and he says, Hey, son, I want you to know that your sins are forgiven. Now, most of the time when I've read through this story, and probably most of the time when you've read through this narrative as well, it doesn't seem strange to us that Jesus would pronounce forgiveness of sins upon this individual. It probably doesn't seem strange to us. Jesus is one who always seemed to be forgiving in the New Testament. He could bring forgiveness. But I want you to think of it just a little differently. Because his words here are very strange. They seem to be out of place. Okay? Think of this. Here these friends are bringing this paralytic to Jesus, and what is their expectation? Their expectation is that Jesus will heal this man physically. So here they bring him to Jesus. They're expecting Jesus to heal him. And Jesus looks and he says, your sins are forgiven. Don't miss how strange this is. This, this, this is almost incomprehensible for these folks. They've come all this way because they knew Jesus, this man had physical issues and Jesus could t touch these physical issues. So they're expecting to be treated for the physical issues. Let's put it this way. I, I saw a couple of the doctors. I see Bobby. I can't see all of you. Some of you kind of got you. Hey, some of you need to move your head up, get off the pew there, wake up. Join us up there. I saw Dr. Neal, saw Dr. Mack. I was, I was getting to talk to Dr. Neal before the service and Dr. Mack. And I said, think about this. If somebody comes in with an issue, a physical issue, and they come up to you, they're expecting you to do something about that physical issue, and you don't, like you try to just dismiss it. Let, let's say I go to Dr. Neal and say, Dr. Neal, I think I've got a sinus infection. I'd like for you to treat that. And he looks at it and says, you know, you probably do. Would you like to have some jelly beans on the side? Jelly beans are probably... Look, I love jelly beans. They sit on my desk every day. I love comfort through jelly beans. But I would be like, you're giving me jelly beans? I, I mean, I came in here... I came in here to be healed i wanted some medicine you know that antibiotic stuff you got you and you know what i don't like shots but it helps me over these things and for him to do something else would just totally defy my expectation now i know it's not the same and 
Dr. Neal is certainly not Jesus. I know that. But don't miss this. They're expecting physical healing. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. You know what this says to me? This says to me that there is something deeper than just our physical needs. That we have something in life, we have a greater need that goes far beyond the physical frailties and weaknesses that we have. There's something else there. Something else that is apparent. Now, I'm not going to try to say that this man's situation was caused by his sin. We know better than that. We know that Jesus reminds us that that these physical issues are not necessarily caused by the personal action or personal sin of individuals. He, He tells us this about the blind man who was blind since birth. He reminds us of that faulty theology and he cautions us against that. But also, we recognize that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody. One of the reasons our world, well, the reason our world is so broken is because of what sin has done and how it has ravaged our lives. It has ravaged our families. It has ravaged our health. Sin itself. Sin is a deeper issue. Guilt is a deeper issue for us than even any type of physical problem we have. Note the gravity of that statement. Note the gravity of saying that our spiritual issues are much greater than our physical. As a pastor, I get to see people at different times of their lives. It's one of the blessings that I think I have to be able to walk with people sometimes that will share things that maybe they're not comfortable sharing in the congregation itself. It could be emotional issues. It could be relational issues. It could be physical. Let me me not minimize any of those, but let me move just for a moment toward the physical. How many hospital rooms do I walk in and see people who are struggling? See people who are broken and bruised See people who cannot breathe without the assistance of a machine. How many times have I seen people that are physically going through difficulty? This morning when I was looking around before service, it was good to see J.B. Jenkins back. J.B., I know you were here the other day, but I missed you. I saw Tommy afterwards. He said you were in church just a few months ago. Bypass surgery and the difficulty of the rehab and all the other things that came about. It was, it was tough, right? Man, you a man. But it was still tough, right? I think I saw the Milners come in up there, see Kimberly and 
certainly Brandon down in Houston and Lord willing will be back toward North Louisiana this week or so. That's a difficult situation for y'all. You, you know we've loved you and we've been praying for you. And we continue to do that. It's tough. There are so many days that I wished I could go in and I could bring something with me, like this magical wand that I could somehow <clears throat> just wave over those individuals and bring and restore physical health to them. Now listen, I do believe in the power of prayer. And I do believe our God still heals. And I do believe that as we call upon Him, that power can be unleashed in people's lives as His will is accomplished. But it is so difficult. Sometimes I will come home, Leslie will tell you that as we get to visiting after a day where I've been out and I've seen certain people, I'll say to her, Babe, I don't want you to go and break the bank on this, okay, first of all. But also know that we are not promised tomorrow. And every day I'm reminded of it. And if we do have tomorrow, we don't know what God has in store for us tomorrow. So if there are things God calls us to do, we need to do it now. Those are the physical issues. Many of you have faced those. Many of you have seen them in your family. Now get the gravity of this statement. Listen. We have a deeper need than even our physical needs. That begins to hit home when you recognize the difficulty that people go through here. This individual, this paralytic was there. He didn't have much hope, especially in the New Testament age. But yet Jesus recognized that it wasn't the physical issues that was most important. It was his spiritual state that was most important. And he looked at him. And while everybody else thought that there was something so strange about this, Jesus knew appropriately what to say. He said, your sins are forgiven. That word, forgiven, is a word that is associated with the removal of guilt. When I was studying this passage, and I went through uh, Lou and Ida's concordance, their dictionary, I, I've always had great respect for those Greek scholars. They gave a little paragraph about this word. I wanted to read it to you because I think it is so significant in our thoughts of this passage. Lou and Ida say, it is extremely important to note that the focus in the meaning of forgiveness in this passage is upon the guilt of the wrongdoer and not upon the wrongdoing itself. The event of wrongdoing is not undone, but the guilt resulting from such an event is pardoned. To forgive, therefore, means essentially to remove the guilt resulting from wrongdoing. Some languages make a clear distinction between guilt and sin. And terms for forgiveness are therefore related to guilt and not to wrongdoing. Therefore, to forgive sins is literally to forgive guilt. Though terms for forgiveness are often literally to wipe out, to blot out, or to do away with, it is obviously not possible to blot out or to wipe out an event, but it is possible to remove and I love this word, or obliterate the guilt. Jesus just said, 
I want you to know that your guilt has been obliterated. It has been totally removed. And folks, we have a greater need than physical needs. And may I say to you that those of us who walked in this place, those who have walked into the gathering this morning, a lot of us have walked in with guilt in our lives. We're still nursing that guilt over some event, over some sin, over something that has happened. We're still nursing those things. Wednesday night, I love coming together on Wednesday night. I love Glenda and the food she provides our families. I thought somebody would say amen. That was a cheap way to get an amen, but I love you, Glenda. I'm proud you do that, and you cook for us, get everybody there. The study that we've been going through recently on Joseph, it has spoken to me more than you can even imagine. And as I've been studying the Joseph's life, I don't think I'd ever recognized before, ever recognized before, how Joseph's brothers were just so riddled with guilt. Every time something happened to them, every time something went against them, they always went back to that event where they had, where they had sold Joseph into slavery. And that guilt had weighed upon them and weighed upon them and weighed upon them. For like 22 years before they see Joseph again, that guilt just consumes every action and every thought that they have. But that's not so far from home, is it? There are times in our lives where we will allow guilt to just consume us. Even though we know all those things, yeah, we, we've been there theologically, we know we've been saying all that, but the guilt just consumes us. I want you to know this morning that that guilt that is weighing on you, that guilt which is far worse than any other physical issue you will ever face, I want you to know this morning that my Jesus has the power and the authority to remove that guilt and to provide for you the strength and the comfort and the blessing and the forgiveness that you need. And that's really what we see in the rest of the story, the authority of Jesus. Verse 6 says, And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk? So we're told by Mark that there were these scribes there. It was almost like an investigative committee that had come down to check Jesus out. Somehow they had arrived early, they had gotten front row seats, or maybe Jesus was just gracious and allowed them to come in. But they were investigating this rabbi from Nazareth. Now, rightly so. The religious leadership should have discerned that teacher and that truth. But here they are. They're witnessing these events. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they begin to think in their minds, now, God is the only one that can forgive sins. 
Why would this man speak such blasphemy? Blasphemy is the idea of bringing God down to your level. Why would, you, why would he speak such blasphemy? I do love this. Don't miss the humor of this, but Jesus knows what they're thinking. Right? Jesus kind of comes up to him and says, Hey, I, I, I kind of know what's in your mind right now. You're, you're sitting there thinking like, God can only do this, and you're, you're, you're trying to figure out, like, why I would claim such authority. And, and, uh, and for some reason, you think it's easier just for me to make the statement or to perform this forgiveness to people instead of healing this man. I, I, I kind of like that. It's, it's also kind of frightening, right? If I could come to you right now and say, hey, I know what you're thinking, I could call it out from the pulpit. You'd almost be frightened, wouldn't you? Jesus kind of comes and says, Hey, I, I know, I'm, buddy, I, I know what you are thinking about right now. And get this. The scribes, in their theology, they were right on. But in their discernment, they were completely off. Oh, they were right on. Only God can forgive sins. Don't miss that part of their theology. That's right. They have a lot of things corrupted, but they knew that when only God can forgive sins. It wasn't their theology that was off. It was their discernment that was off. They could not discern that this man that was standing before them, that he was God. Some people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. You haven't read the New Testament. He may not have explicitly said, hey, I'm God. But in everything that he did, he taught, he demonstrated that he was divine. And here in this passage, he doesn't argue with them over the idea that only God can forgive. He just demonstrates he is God and he has the authority to forgive. And I want you to hear that this morning. That yes, we have some... Issues. We have one issue in particular that's a whole lot deeper than physical issues that we face. We have an issue of sin. But we have the God-man Jesus who has the authority to forgive us our sins. He has that authority. He's the only one. So what does Jesus do? Jesus says in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man, which is a messianic term used by Daniel, it's used 14 times in the Gospel of Mark. He says, so that you know that the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Christ, so that you know he has the power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. <laughs> verse 12, oh, it... It just gets better when you read this story. Because verse 12 says, Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Because that's the power of the God-man. The power of the God-man brings healing. He brings physical healing to demonstrate that he had the authority to bring spiritual healing. 
And they all were amazed that even at Jesus' command, this man was healed and he walked. You and I, we have issues deeper than the physical issues we face. But we have a God, we have Jesus Christ, who's the authority and the power to do something about that issue. And today, as we close, I want you to know this. He is more than willing to deal with that issue, to obliterate your guilt, and to forgive you of your sins. He's more than willing. Back up in verse 5. When he looked at the paralytic, he addressed him as son. It is an affectionate term. Tender term. Where Jesus is demonstrating his love and his compassion for this man. He wanted, I think, he was willing to rescue this man from his sins and to deliver him from his guilt. It says that he had recognized their faith. Whose? Well, you might could say the four guys that totally trusted, they brought, somehow God rewarded their faith. I believe perhaps this man too had demonstrated faith. If you read the record of the New Testament and how people came to healing, and all, there was a sense of faith. I believe that this paralytic had. He was willing to hear or to see the faith. And he was willing to take away those sins and that guilt. I say to you that many of you probably walked in here today with some type of guilt. Something that you continue to nurse. Today when you leave this place, when you leave the gathering, when you leave the sanctuary, it is so important that you would leave knowing the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your heart and life. So get this on this side of the cross. We've talked about the earthly ministry and how Jesus had the authority to forgive. Think just a moment on this side of the cross. Jesus voluntarily, he willingly lay his life down for us. Nobody took his life. Nobody forced his death. He willingly gave himself up for us. And on the cross of Calvary, as he hung there, as the Father turned away and the fellowship of the Trinity was broken for the very first time for all of time, Jesus took upon our sins, all of them, every one. He took upon the guilt. He took upon all those things that are associated with rebellion against God. And he paid for them. His blood, his sacrifice was sufficient to pay the ultimate price for us. And because of that, you and I can have forgiveness. We don't have to worry about going to a man here on this earth for some type of forgiveness or some type of... The, we can go straight into the Holy of Holies. We can go straight into the presence of our high priest, Jesus Christ, and experience forgiveness 
And yes, when he was resurrected three days later, it was just a demonstration. It was an exclamation that he had the power over sin, hell, death, and the grave itself. And he had the power to forgive. Friends, I invite you today to trust in his sacrifice. If you have never given your life to Jesus, you need to come and see your guilt obliterated. See the forgiveness that comes only through him. Maybe today you say, I'm saved, but all the guilt that I still carry. Folks, come lay that guilt down. Jesus already paid for it. You don't have to pick it up and pay for it again. He's taking care of you. Would you come and rest in him today and trust his sacrifice just as you have before? Would you trust it as you rededicate yourself to him? Because he has the authority to forgive. Tell them. Tell them he forgives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for obliterating our guilt for taking away, for removing it. And Father, today in this place, I know that there are individuals who continue to try to carry that burden and that guilt. Lord, help them hear the real, powerful word from you. That, Lord, you can ease that burden. You can take it literally away. I pray for those in this place that have not been saved. And Lord, they don't, they've never experienced the cleansing. They've never experienced the washing. Lord, today, just pour your spirit out upon them, convict them, and cleanse them. For those of us who are saved, but we struggle still, Lord, give us rest. Remind us of the freedom we have in you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?